it's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Somehow, today is Monday, August 2nd, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Ventura County has launched a first-of-its-kind smoke alert for farm workers. More on tonight's California report. Then a look at COVID-19 vaccination effort among San Joaquin Valley's Punjabi Sikh community. We'll take a brief look at regional headlines and weather before Al Stoller delves into the horrors of Canadian and American Indian schools with Nissanon spokesperson Shelley Covert. Then, Felton Pruitt talks to Caleb Dardick, the Nevada County Projects Administrator, about community grants to close out our newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. With wildfire smoke now a year-round problem in many parts of the state, Ventura County has just launched a first-of-its-kind alert system to notify farm workers when air quality conditions may pose a risk to their health. KCRW's Matt Gillum reports. The Environmental Protection Agency's scale measuring air quality ranges from 0 to 500. The higher the number, the more dangerous. This new system from the Ventura County Air Pollution Control District is geared towards farm workers and field supervisors. When air quality reaches 151, which the federal scale classifies as unhealthy and bad enough to trigger health effects in some people, the agency will now send out a text alert in Spanish and English to people who sign up. Ventura County officials say they developed the alert system after a Central Coast Labor Rights Group first proposed the idea. State regulations require employers to provide protective gear to workers when air quality reaches the unhealthy level. Studies show breathing air laden with toxic particulates can raise the risk of serious medical issues like heart attacks and strokes. Ventura hopes its alert system becomes a model for other communities and gets key health information to the people who need it in real time. For the California Report, I'm Matt Gillum. Turning to housing now, nearly half of L.A.'s renters owe back rent, and some tenants hit hardest by the pandemic may not be able to get assistance from the state. That's according to UCLA urban planning professor Michael Manville, who, along with fellow researchers, conducted a survey of L.A. renters. They found some tenants who paid rent on time throughout the pandemic could still be struggling. Manville says that's because they put themselves in debt to do so by borrowing money from credit card companies, payday lenders, and even friends and family to cover their housing costs. You can imagine this in many instances being a situation where someone who was actually extremely diligent about staying current on rent um, is now facing a lot of high interest debt. Manville says he's concerned about the way California's rent relief initiatives are set up because they don't do much, in his view, to help people who have already paid their rent but may owe money to people other than their landlords. He says distributing cash directly to tenants rather than through their landlords, like the current program is set up to do, may help, as struggling renters will be able to pay back whomever they owe money to. Support for the California Report comes from SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Beck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care, on the web at chcf.org slash voices, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. We're going to go to the San Joaquin Valley now. Among that region's community of Punjabi Sikhs, there are many reasons people have been vaccinated against COVID-19. 
I didn't want anyone in my family to get sick. So I got it first just to see how it, like, the outcome would be. Then, like, one by one, my family got it until it was my grandma's turn. I just checked Google and talked to my family. They already got it. Everybody was vaccinated already, and I was the one left. So I said, okay, if you guys are doing good, I can also do good. I don't want to die. But there is another reason many are getting their shots. Valley Public Radio's Carrie Klein takes us to a sick temple known as a Gurdwara in West Fresno. The Sikh Institute of Fresno looks much like it did pre-COVID. At this three-story, salmon-colored gurdwara, people in saris and t-shirts stream in and out of the main worship hall, while a trio of men playing harmoniums and tabla drums sing hymns known as kirtan. But on this day, classrooms that are typically used for Punjabi school have been repurposed. Sitting in one of them is 13-year-old Navleen Kaur. A lot of people are, uh, you know, getting sick, and for them, we are getting vaccine, so we'll be uh, okay, we'll not be sick. Core is in the observation area of a pop-up clinic, and she just got her first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Her cousin Anmol Kaur, also 13, sits behind her. Why did you want to get your vaccine? I want to be sick, and I, don't, I want the coronavirus to end, so that's why. These cousins are among more than 1,500 people who have been vaccinated at sick temples from Fresno to Bakersfield. Many of those clinics were organized by Nandeep Singh, the executive director of the nonprofit Jakara Movement. These mobile clinics are one way Singh's organization is bringing culturally competent virus outreach to his community. We've uh, had billboards, we've uh, commissioned uh, Punjabi music songs, um, so we've really tried sort of an all-hands-on-deck uh, uh, approach. Very little public health information is available in Punjabi, even though it's one of the most common languages spoken in the valley, and so many of its speakers are essential workers in agriculture and trucking. Like any other group, Singh says his community members have questions about the vaccine, but many, especially Punjabi speakers, feel their concerns just aren't being addressed by health authorities. If you're only telling people vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate without answering their questions, people start digging in their heels after a while because they, they feel like they're being shamed into a particular action. Singh characterizes them as vaccine curious rather than vaccine hesitant. So does Dr. Kenny Bond, an assistant dean at UCSF Fresno. I find the Punjabi community wholly fairly accepting of it. They have less resistance to vaccines. Bond runs the med school's vaccine clinics, including a traveling van that hosted today's pop-up and hundreds of others around the county. So are these clinics having an impact? It's hard to tell. Government agencies classify race in broad categories, like Asian. So it's unclear what the vaccination rate and infection rate are specifically among Punjabis. Plus, vaccinated people can opt out entirely of self-identifying their race and ethnicity. Nevertheless, Goody Ranu believes these clinics are important. She's an educator at this Gurdwara, and she says pop-ups like this one can be the deciding factor for those who are curious or on the fence. Because sometimes you don't even think about it. Like, my friend is having it, I'm going to have it. Especially if that friend speaks your language and visits the same Gurdwara that you do. For The California Report, I'm Carrie Klein in Fresno. And that story was reported in collaboration with the Documenting COVID-19 Project at Columbia University's Brown Institute for Media Innovation. And that is the California Report for this Monday, August 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Thank you so much for listening.
Nevada County Public Health reports 124 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. 328 cases are currently active in Nevada County. 12 people are hospitalized, one in ICU. Today's case count is the fourth highest single-day report since the start of the pandemic. This public health update from the Nevada County Coronavirus Dashboard and UBINET. NID has confirmed yesterday's vandalism of the Tar Ditch Irrigation Canal in which nearly a million gallons of water spilled directly into Wolf Creek. NID crews repaired the damage by 11 a.m. and water flows were restored to the ditch. The vandalism also included breaking of checkboards and damage to the structure. The irrigation canal carries water for 115 customers in the Wolf Mountain and Penn Valley areas. NID operations manager Chip Close says it's hard to quantify if water theft has increased from years past. However, Close affirms, quote, I can say that due to the current drought, awareness has been raised and we are receiving more reports of suspicious or illegal activity than usual. We appreciate the notifications so we can investigate. This from Ubinet. Nevada Irrigation District recently declared a severe water shortage and is currently operating under the Water Shortage Contingency Plan. NID is asking all customers to reduce water usage by 20% compared to the 2020 water season. At around 10.30 today, the Grass Valley Nevada City Fire Department, Nevada County Consolidated Fire, and CAL FIRE responded to a reported vegetation fire in the Brunswick and Idaho-Maryland Road area. The initial response included two chief officers, eight engines, one air tanker, one helicopter, one dozer, and a water tender, reports a Grass Valley Nevada City Fire Department media release. The quarter-acre vegetation fire was in an area of heavy fuels with a moderate rate of spread. Many spot fires were caused by embers jumping Idaho-Maryland Road and igniting dry vegetation in a vacant field. Forward progress of the fire was halted within an hour of dispatch, and the blaze was called contained at approximately 12.30 p.m., with the final size of the fire totaling 3.3 acres. Firefighters will remain at the scene throughout the day, extinguishing hotspots and monitoring any smoke that may reappear. The Nevada County Community Library joins numerous libraries across the country in no longer charging overdue fines. Nevada County Library says this is a permanent change meant to remove financial barriers that may keep people from enjoying the library's full benefits. Despite the new rule, patrons are still encouraged to return their items in a timely manner. And before you become flippant about keeping track of your library goods, our community library gently reminds us that items checked out longer than five months will be considered lost, and lost or damaged books may still incur a fee. The Union reports that on Wednesday, August 4th at 7 p.m., Grass Valley City Council will conduct a special meeting to review and discuss three design concepts for the Mill Street Project. Design concept one is entitled Downtown Promenade, which includes a brick-paved central promenade area that occupies the center of Mill Street. The second concept is Downtown Mill, which would have permanent parklets along Mill Street with trees, planters, and places to sit. And the final design concept is Downtown Courts, which would include enhanced drop-offs and street intersections and a temporary performance space. In addition to receiving direction from City Council, Grass Valley is seeking public input to determine a preferred design concept. And now for regional weather. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 64. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 95. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 52. Tomorrow, sunny 
with a high near 87. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 59, tomorrow will be sunny and hot with a high near 100. Shocking stories from Canada are revealing a history of abuse at so-called Indian schools. But Canada was not alone in taking Native American children from their families. Al Stoller speaks with Shelley Covert, spokesperson for the Nisanon, next on tonight's program. Shelley, we have heard some really awful stories about Indian schools. Canada was not the only place to have Indian schools. The United States had Indian schools all over the nation. I don't know a Native family that doesn't have a family member, an elder, that either survived Indian school or did not survive. What was the purpose of Indian school? The main purpose of taking kids from their families was to, quote, kill the Indian, save the man. Assimilation. It was to take away culture, to enforce a different religion, to really break that family unit. One of the criteria to prove genocide, forcibly remove children from families and have them put into a different institution or the dominating culture. In other words, a school of this type is taken as evidence of genocide. Absolutely. That's one of the genocide criteria is to forcibly remove children from their family units. California had three such schools. There are three that we know about. I have a friend who's on this Native American boarding school healing commission, and they've been really disturbed to find that a lot of the schools are not in record anywhere. Sometimes a a local rancher or another family who was prominent in whatever geographic space it was would just take the kids in, and they were paid by the federal government to intern these children. Were the children allowed to speak their own language? No, there was a complete erasure of culture. Cutting of the hair, military uniforms, no language to be spoken whatsoever. Reading, writing, arithmetic, which um, most of the cultures here, I know the Nisanan especially, we did not have a written language. We did not write things down. And so you have in one generation sometimes complete erasure of their culture, learning a new way, And then those children came home with this sense of shame because you were not supposed to be Indian. So they would come home to their grandparents. And a lot of times there was this deep shame because they were seeing in their family units everything that they were told not to do and everything that was wrong. When were these schools finally closed down? There are actually a couple of the schools that have never closed. Say what? It's true. Um, There has been a shift. I think that some of these Indian colleges actually stem from these boarding schools and they've shifted over the years to have Native American programming and things that the Native people are in charge of. They're shaping and seeing what they want their children to be raised with, which is really interesting. (laughs) I guess. Do you know personally people who had to go to these schools? My grandpa, my grandpa Dutch, 
and his siblings and his mom's siblings. They went to Indian boarding school. One of my grandpa's brothers actually died at boarding school. So I am sure that his body is going to be found at some point in time as they're doing this research finally. We're looking at Canada right now with horror. I just think America is gonna be surprised, but the same thing happened here. People should not be surprised when the same story is reflected here. How does a person come out of that? You know, I can speak for myself personally and my my family, my mom and her sisters. The Native American people have been yelling this story for decades, and it's been met with a closed door. Like, no, people died here just by accidental disease, or there's always an argument to this truth. It's taken so long for the truth to be told, and it's a sad, horrible truth. But in order to feel like a person and part of the community, your story has to be known by people. You've got to be seen. What responsibility does that give us today? People just need to know history. If you don't know your history, history will repeat itself. You've got a fundraiser coming up right at the start of September. It's our annual harvest dinner fundraiser. We work with local farms. Most of the food is donated by the farms. Our chefs this year are working mostly donation. It's this moment where we come together and people are so giving and they want to help. It's come out so beautifully every single year and we're really proud of it. Sounds real good and we'll talk about that more sometime in the very near future. Shelly, it's been very good talking with you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Al. I was speaking with Shelley Covert of the Nisinon. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. Coming up, Felton Pruitt discusses the new $2 million Community Economic Resiliency Grant Program with Nevada County Projects Administrator Caleb Dardick. They delve into application process details and where to go to find answers to your questions concerning the program. We're talking with Caleb Dardick, who works in the Nevada County's CEO's office. And the Board of Supervisors just announced a $2 million community resiliency grant program, which I'm sure everybody is excited to find out more about. So, Caleb, you've got the information. Share it with us. I'm really pleased to be able to share this good news with the community. You know, as we continue to recover from COVID and look to the future, the Board of Supervisors allocated another $2 million in funds from the American Rescue Plan Act that came to our community directly from the Biden administration in March. And we want to use these funds to really help our community recover and build resiliency going forward. This particular grant is but one of five grant and loan programs that we've been rolling out to support the business and nonprofit community recovery using ARPA dollars. And it's a total of $5.8 million, which constitutes a full third of the county's allocation from the federal government. So this particular grant is called Community and Economic Resiliency Grant. It'll allow nonprofits, businesses, and special purpose districts an opportunity to apply for up to $100,000. There are many eligible activities, community serving. We're really looking at the community serving institutions and programs especially those places where we used to gather. You know, one of the things that really impacted all of us during COVID was staying at home because part of what makes life in Nevada County so great is all the places where we gather, whether it's in arts and cultural venues, 
whether it's our senior centers, veteran centers, daycares, recreation centers. There's so many places where people come together, and those have been shut down. And for many of those facilities and organizations and programs, they relied on events, they relied upon rentals, and they really got hurt during the pandemic. So we're hoping that this money can be applied to these institutions and programs that will get them not only back on their feet, but actually fund and support activities that will help them not only recover, but have more resiliency in the face of, you know, whatever comes next. What's the deadline to apply? It's six and a half weeks, and so the deadline is September 10th. And uh, I know there's going to be a lot of questions that people are going to have about the grant. And so we're going to have a basically an online or virtual workshop on August 11th. And how would people become part of that workshop? They need to sign up. We have a press release that is going to be available on the Nevada County website at mynevadacounty.com. That's probably the easiest place to just go there, look up the news. There'll be a press release. All the links will be there. But for those who are, you know, familiar with the purchasing process, they can also go to this, that same site, but go to the purchasing page and go to open bids and access all of that information there as well. Now, it's my understanding that if you've never applied for a grant before, this might be out of your wheelhouse. You have uh, some aid to help people apply for this grant, these grants. Absolutely. You know, so many of our small facilities are managed by all volunteers. They're very rural. And, um, you know, for example, our granges, some of our neighborhood centers. And so we understand that without a professional executive director and a full staff, for some groups, this can be really challenging. We've tried to make the application as streamlined as possible, but we recognize that technical assistance may be needed. So the county partners with the Sierra Business Council, and they have a small business development center who will provide that technical assistance, not only to potential applicants, helping them with the application itself, but should they be awarded, help them with the post-award process, the reporting. So we really encourage people to contact the Small Business Development Center if they need technical assistance. And again, those emails and phone numbers are with this request for application package. Suppose you're lucky enough to get one of these grants. When would they be getting the money? The plan right now is that we would bring the recommendations to award to the Board of Supervisors at their mid-October board meeting. And typically, it takes about 30 days after that. So I imagine that folks could actually have, you know, check in hand, be able to get to work, depending on what their project was, mid-November. We've been talking with Caleb Dardick. Caleb, give them the information about how they can apply once again. Yeah, one more time, probably the best place to go is mynevadacounty.com and either go to the purchasing page or the news page. That's Caleb Dardick from Nevada County CEO Office. Thanks so much for the information, Caleb. Thank you for sharing this information with the KVMR listeners. That's our newscast for tonight, Monday, August 2nd, 2021. KVMR gets support from Wallace Design Studio, providing architectural services and design for commercial, residential, and civic projects. Clients include River Valley Community Bank, The Pizza Joint, Sierra Central Credit Union, and projects throughout Northern California. 
information wallacedesignstudio.com and food and juice fresh food oasis with meals made from organic ingredients with vegan options also offering organic wraps juice and smoothies made fresh to order located on zion street in nevada city foodandjuice.com stick around at 6:30. it's disability wrap then at 7 we have democracy now with host amy goodman Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.